It's a pinky party. It's a pinky party. Pinky, pinky, pinky party. This week's pinky party. <laughs> How you doing out there? Welcome to this week's pinky party. Hey, I gotta get a little goofy once in a while. Sorry for subjecting you to the on hold music. Actually, I thought that sounded more like. Elevator music, music, whatever. How'd you like that episode on Poltergeist? Did you like that? I liked it. It was quite fun. This week's topic is spiritualism. Sensing a theme here? Yes, of course we are. And before I get to it, which we're going to dive into it very shortly, I would like to ask you that if you enjoy anything at all that I'm doing, it would be great if you leave a comment, a review, or even just tell your friends, because that is the biggest help of all. You tell your friends, hey, I listened to this podcast, and you know, it's kind of cool, it's kind of fun, it's kind of interesting, whatever. And also, if you really, really like me, perhaps you consider visiting my Patreon, patreon.com, slash pinky swear press as little as one dollar a month we creators we just like to know that somebody out there gives a shit okay all right that's out of the way spiritualism basically a movement based on the belief the dead could interact with the living and as i have mentioned in like the houdini episode it particularly surged after world war one and maybe that was a need to make sense of a world shattered by conflict. Instead of embracing rational thought, they decided to go into the domain of the dead. Some people went back to life as normal, you know, which makes sense psychologically. But some had decided that the institutions which dominated before 1914 are exactly the reason they ended up in a conflict. So to reject the horror of war, they embraced what was even what was stranger to them. Witchcraft, spiritual renewal, and communing with the dead. Now there had been interest before 1918, probably 1917, it started to surge after three years of the conflict. It particularly appealed to people who lost their sons, like Arthur Conan Doyle. Sons that they would never be reunited with. Uh, Apparently, you couldn't, because of some rules, and maybe because they were lost, even have a grave. You couldn't retrieve the body. This is horrible for these people. So maybe the only way to talk to them would be basically necromancy. Now, at the same time, an interest in fortune-telling really took off. Tea leaf readings were quite popular. It just, it promised, again, the idea that you would know something about your loved ones. You could find out something about your loved ones and people maybe who are still alive when it came to fortune telling. But then it gave way more and more to spirit communication. You might even call it a collective unconscious. And of course, as with many movements, a lot of people saw an opportunity to help, but also scam and profit off of it, become minor celebrities. 
But now, this wasn't, of course, the first heyday of spiritualism. No. Ideas about the afterlife have existed for ages, probably since we've been on the earth. But since our focus is very specific right now, we're going to go to the Victorian times. Named for Queen Victoria, about 1837 is when they began. Now this is the golden age of spiritualism, the 19th century. This is when a lot of our modern trappings like Ouija boards, tarot cards, and psychic shops really took off. And during this time, some people had kind of moved away from the standard religions a bit. And spiritualism itself became a religion. It was actually considered scientific, a scientific movement by many people. No one expected you to have blind faith, which I got to say is quite refreshing. You know, we all know there are a lot of things that people just tell you, well, it's faith. And I'm happy for you. You know, I'm happy for you if you can just, hey, I got to take it on faith. But to have something where people tell you, you know, hey, it's cool. You totally can be part of our religion and you can be skeptic if you like. Although here is where I have to interject that since I've done the poltergeist episode, obviously some people still thought that you should take it on faith. Or maybe they were just super defensive of some of the ideas. But, you know, if we think about uh, Nodar, was it? Hodor. Yes, that's right. Nodar. So anyway, <laughs> I don't know. I think some people uh, did take it much more seriously. Now, having said all that, there were actually many Christians who were spiritualists. And this particular time was the rise of mediums, most of whom were women. And now if you think about that, it also makes sense. Uh, women at this time, you know, just like their corsets, a tight and rigid societal rules. Rules which had them struggling to have any say about their own position in life. They had no authority. They couldn't vote. Maybe they couldn't even gain respect in other areas, but as a medium... They could, in some sense. Women were also more likely to attend church and convince their families to attend church. I mean, that was about the extent of their control. So it kind of makes sense that they could convince people to come along with me into this spiritualism. So, like many good tales, this one begins with some drama, a bit of a bang, all right? Are you ready? Are you ready? Come with me. On March 31st, 1848, two sisters, Kate and Margaret Fox, announced that they would contact the spirit world. Eventually, a third sister, Leah, joined them. Word spread and a religion emerged. It was considered at the time liberal and nonconformist in values, with the added bonus of fireside chats with the dead. 
not even the the eventual confessions in 1888. It took them a while to come clean. Uh, The confessions of the sisters, that they had faked it. Although the youngest two had used tricks to get the older sister to do this with them. So I guess they tricked her too. But not even these confessions could stop the movement. They had had great success for many, many years. And so obviously other people were going to take up this practice. And let's not forget that I think there is probably nothing so powerful in the world as the need to believe in whatever it is. We humans need to believe in something. Spiritualism, of course, even spread in Britain. Maria Hayden arrived in 1852 as the first working medium in Britain. She drew a lot of criticism, of course, and maybe a lot of apathy at best. But she carried on with her seances. And then interest grew with the first spiritualist publication in 1855, the Yorkshire Spiritualist Telegraph. And then the first spiritualist Lyceum was founded in Nottingham in 1866 by J. Hitchcock. Now that is basically a school or lecture hall. And he intended for spiritualism to be part of religious education while studying philosophy. I'm going to guess that probable, probable reasons that it gripped Britain at the time is that they were in the throes of the Industrial Revolution. And I'm not just guessing other people said this. Hey, I did my research. The Industrial Revolution caused a lot of people to leave their land, you know, their farm, their homes, and they went into the cities to work in factories, mines, shipyards, etc. Social reformers and philanthropists also rose at this time, and spiritualism gave people a personal experience with their afterlife knowledge. So really... It was common for Victorian area people to have, to have an inclination to the paranormal and the occult. I've mentioned, you know, those Victorians. I mean, I think that a lot of people still view them as terribly repressed. And obviously in certain areas, we would say that they were. But on the other hand, There's a lot of funky stuff going on in the Victorian times. Stuff that has nothing even to do with spiritualism. But that is not the topic of this episode. And I don't know if I'll do it ever or not. But we'll just say certain medical procedures. A wink, a wink, a nudge, a nudge. Some of you out there will know exactly what I'm talking about. But back to spiritualism. Some of the most popular forms were mesmerism, it's like hypnosis, electrobiology, which is the study of electricity as developed by living organisms. We, we produce it. I mean, what do you think the Matrix was? The whole first film was the idea. Little batteries, human batteries. Not to mention, and this was one of the inspirations for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Other popular areas were clairvoyance, mind reading, crystal gazing, all of that. (laughs) Even Queen Victoria 
and Prince Albert attended seances. I told you. I told you before. All the cool kids did it. The 1860s saw it become an entire subculture. There were pamphlets, special newspapers, entire societies, public and private seances. Now, what is a classic seance? I'm sure you've seen the movies. I'm, you know, you've watched shows. So you have your medium and several cohorts, cohorts possibly. Uh, probably a wooden table. Possibly a crystal ball. Maybe not. I'm sure there were candles. And then you had the loved ones who were trying to contact people they'd lost. Uh, sometimes there would be rapping, you know, tapping on the walls, the table, and sometimes the table was even knocked over. And yes, it is often as pictured where you might sit and hold hands. Uh, everyone had their theatrics. Now we go back to our dear Fox sisters. They had gotten famous enough to be copied. And so a lot of those people were doing exactly what they did. Something that is popular even now. I mean, I can take an online course for this. No, really. And you know what? I am because it was super cheap. Udemy, is that how you say it? And I thought to myself, why not? It's actually quite a bit about meditation and things like that. You know what? It's, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting. But astral projection is the idea that you could leave your body and move around what is called, appropriately, the astral plane. Honestly, don't you think that sounds really handy? Like, you could be the proverbial fly on the wall, Right? Just think of all the spying you could do and all of the conversations you could be privy to and sightseeing you could do. Maybe you could go to concerts and stuff that you can't afford to pay for, right? Or make money catching cheating wives and husbands. Hmm. Or maybe that's not really a good idea. We're all just spying on each other all the time. Imagine the chaos. Chaos, anarchy, dogs and cats living together. Okay. Now, as was the case with Annie Horneman, I think I'm saying that right, who was an actress and spiritualist, you could even go to Saturn. That's what she said. She went to Saturn. <laughs> no, really. Look it up. Maybe we wouldn't need that rover. We could go to Mars. I don't know. Now, besides royalty, who else had seances? Well... A couple of first ladies were totally into it. Mary Todd Lincoln, wife of Abe, held several seances in the White House before and after his assassination. But the first person to do it was Jane Pierce, wife of Franklin Pierce. Their son, Benny, had died in a train accident in 1853. And in her grief... She asked none other than the Fox sisters to hold a seance. I didn't look these separate incidents up, but I'm going to guess, since they were big old fakers, that whatever they told her was big old fake. Big fake. Heap fake. I feel sorry for her, but then again, there's something to be said, perhaps, 
for just the psychology that even if it was fake, but she didn't know that at the time, that, that it might have made her feel better. You know, maybe it helped her in her grief. I, I think it's terrible to lie to people about it. And yet, if it gave her some peace, I don't know. So be it. Maybe we should, uh, maybe I should have Googled that, eh? You can look it up. There you go. Jane Pierce. Something else that was popular at the time that we also touched upon, I touched upon in the Houdini episode, is spirit photography. William H. Mumler is one of the photographers credited with starting the trend. And it was by accident. A double exposure produced what looked to be a ghost behind a living subject. And and again, total accident. But naturally, he started doing it on purpose. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Maybe his heart was in the right place. Uh, He he did a lot of Civil War era families' uh, uh, favors by taking pictures, you know. They had lost loved ones. But I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it started out in the right place and then it was like, ooh, I can make some money and get famous. How often do we hear that? Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you likely also know that ghost hunting has been popular for a long time. There are a lot of shows. Uh, Some of them have aired for years. Well, of course, they didn't in in the era of spiritualism, but they did ghost hunt. Uh, honestly, it's a shame that they didn't have equipment like we have now, other than candles. Um, their idea of, and it actually, I just realized, maybe it reminds me just a little bit of the flashlight as communication. Have you guys seen that? You know, hey, turn the light on or turn the light off if you're here. I mean, it's not exactly like it, but with candles... They thought at the time that a blue flame would show when spirits were near. Yeah, so they could have been like, hey, if you're here, make this candle turn, you know, candle flame turn blue, right? Right? So it was the flashlight of their time. Yeah. So say if I. That is the way. Oh, I just can't resist the references. Maybe I should. Uh, Another thing they used that actually people are using now are dowsing rods. And it wasn't just for water. I think they started out quite a bit to find water. Uh, I see now that they are enjoying uh, a big resurgence. And there's even some cool ones out there. Who was it? Um, Kitsy Duncan of Oddity Files. Like I saw her Instagram or something with some that light up. And they looked sort of electric. I don't know, but they were really cool. It made me want one. Uh, Spiritualists also used glass or mirrors to see spirits. And they actually knew of ectoplasm. Apparently, a ghost hunter would puke. If there was a ghost, if it was ectoplasm, oh, oh, the ghost hunter puked. Clearly there's a ghost. Thankfully, it did describe what this puke was supposed to look like. All I can 
I'm just sitting here going, ew, I don't think that that's a ghost hunt that I want to be on where somebody pukes because a ghost, oh, I'm puking up ectoplasm. Well, and then you're going to puke and I'm going to puke and we're all going to puke in a circle of puke and uh And not to mention, who had cleanup duty on that? Ugh. Not, you know, I'll stick to like the candle and the dowsing rods. Okay, cool. You carry them up. I don't want anything to do with it. So, um, now what if they had a, a bad, bad, mean, bad ghost? Well, they made witch bowls. These are ceramic bowls filled with hair, saliva, and other things from uh, the bodies of people who were living in the house. Yeah, use your imagination. No, really. I don't think we want to know the specifics. Well, I probably know. I'll leave it up to you if you want to go find out. Hey, I just realized maybe that's why people threw up, eh? Just spitballing here. Just, ew. So they would place the witch bowl near the entrance of their house, and it was supposed to repel these bad ghosts. I'm pretty sure it would repel some of your neighbors as well. But then again, maybe not if they were all into spiritualism. I don't know. Mostly, though, after telling you all of these things, what people really wanted was just to know if their loved ones were okay and to find out if any of them might be hanging around to to look over them or, or help them out, you know? Now, what do you suppose was the most famous thing to come out of this era? Well, I'm going to tell you. What was it, Cherry? Well, I'm about to tell you. The Ouija board, a.k.a. devil board, a.k.a. witch board, a.k.a. that thing you don't do alone, otherwise you will be possessed, and there's been many horror... (gasps) Yeah, how many horror films, right? How many horror films? Which, great, fun. I love horror films. Well, the truth is, the idea was around before. You know, you would just, before they created the Ouija board, they would just use a a paper and a pen, automatic writing or a piece of wood. I had also seen before where people might just sit at a table with a glass, put their fingers on it, and it it would move around or not. I have seen some modern ghost hunters do this, um, and they just like maybe have it go towards a person or a certain direction for yes or no. I've also heard of, I'm pretty sure it was Victorian times. This I'm remembering off the top of my head, where somebody might handwrite the alphabet on little pieces of paper, put it around in a circle, and it could move around in the circle. I know I've read that. But the board that we know was created in 1891 by a toy company. I had one that was my grandma's. I had it for a long time. I'm I'm not sure where she got it. I should ask my mom. I was actually going to do that, and I forgot. I was going to ask before this podcast. But even though it was advertised as a game, it was adults who purchased it at first. But now one of the biggest things to come out of this 
era other than the creation of the Ouija board, as far as stories, probably, is the Winchester house. It's said that Sarah Winchester built it and didn't stop because a spiritualist told her she had to appease the ghosts of people killed by her family's guns. Yes, that Winchester. This house is in San Jose, California. It has seven floors, 40 bedrooms, 47 fireplaces. I want to sit in front of every single one of them. I love me a good fireplace. And it has stairs to nowhere, doors that open and you would just fall out and die. I mean, and Sarah did die in the house in 1922. I don't, I don't think she, she didn't fall out one of her doors though. Now, if you ask me, I think that spiritualism gone a bit too far. Don't you think? I mean, somebody told her to just keep building and building and building this house. That's why it's apparently so odd. You're going to run out of land, you know, so what do you do? You just keep building rooms and doors to nowhere and stairs that run into the ceiling. And wow. I wonder if that spiritualist was like really damn proud of themselves. Like, (laughs) oh my God, look what I made her do. I made one of the richest people in the country just building shit. <laughs> Oof, I am good. I, yeah, I'm just imagining. I don't know. I don't know if this person was sincere. Maybe she was partnered up with the builders and carpenters and, and all that in the area and everybody was getting kickbacks. I don't know. So let's talk about something else then. Let's talk about tarot cards. There are actually records dating to 1400s Turkey and 1500s Italy that mention something like a tarot card. But they were called Mamluk game cards and Turochi Appropriati, respectively. Clearly someone figured the Italian sounded more appealing. (laughs) Tarot, right? Obviously it came from that. I don't know. I think I might start calling my eight plus decks Mamluk cards. Or after I learn how to pronounce it properly, because I have a feeling I'm not, uh, I think I'm, but I'm going to refer to them as that. Do you think it'll catch on? Just doing a Mamluk reading today. What? What are you doing? A Mamluk reading. I don't know. (laughs) And why am I not about to give you more information on this right now? Because I bet you're curious, like, well, what do those look like? And what's the deal with that? The reason I am not going to tell you right now is because, dun, 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 you guessed it. I think this might be a good subject for another episode. So you're just going to have to keep listening. Or you're going to look it up without me and say, not going to listen. Okay, your prerogative. Anyway, (laughs) Victorians did make tarot cards very popular. They had fortune-telling parties. Parties, parties. They were used in seances. And this is when the Rider Waite deck, still a standard for most, the standard even of how you read the cards, 
This is when it was created. And now this is where I think that I'll finish. And it might be a shorter episode, but having done these other episodes that involved spiritualism, I felt like it was time to give a little background on the start of the movement. I also feel like that I've mentioned enough people involved in it so far that to get very specific and start talking about specific people was just going to be a rehash of some things I've said in other episodes. So I think it's definitely a worth looking into, though, other details, such as the fact that there is an entire town that was created to house mediums, psychics, astrologers, and the like. It was called Casadaga Lake Tree Free Lake Free Lake Free Association started in 1879. This is now known as Lilydale and it's in New York. Even better, it's still full of these type of people. And as far as I know, in order to buy a house there, you have to belong to a spiritualist church. That's kind of (laughs) groovy. There is literally a town that is a safe haven for spiritualists, and that is the requirement. You could just go door to door and be like, hi, you read my fortune, I'll read yours. That's kind of what I'm wondering. Like if, like if everybody there is a spiritualist, well, does everybody know everybody's business? Does everybody know everybody's dead ancestors? Are there, are there just ghosts? Wow. Halloween must be lit. Whoa. Partay. Do people come for readings with these people? Do they have tourism? You know what? I'm guessing they do, right? And bear with me a second because suddenly I'm thinking, you know, I really should have Googled some of this, eh? Hang on, hang on. You hear the papers, 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 papers. What did I say it was called? Lily. Dale, New York. Well, they have, of course, their own official website. So let's check this out. Let's check this out. Western New York's home for mediumship and spiritual healing since 1879. We have an upcoming events page right on the front. Join Fran Walsh as we explore your true colors. Designed to help you understand yourself and others better as we travel together on this earthly plane. (laughs) This is honestly really cool. Um, My goodness, they are a 501c3 registered community. You can volunteer and donate. You can join a mailing list here and stay in touch. Lily Dale. I do see on the top here, it is open with requirements. I'm I'm sure they're talking about COVID. So obviously, yes, it is, as I would expect, 
a tourist destination. Oh, look at these photographs. Charming. Charming. You can get lodging. Pay the gate fee for each day and you will be on the grounds. Look through our registered mediums. They suggest that there's a whole list of what you should do here. I'll just start. Visit Lilydale. Check out this year's catalog, browse events on our website, and purchase tickets for your top events. Number two, book a place to stay at one of the many lodging options below. Number three, pay the gate fee. I mentioned that. Number four, look through our registered mediums and their websites to see who you might want to see at a public demonstration or to book a reading. Number five, read our facts. I think I should, re- should I read you those facts after I read this list? And check out the map below to get familiar with the Dale. The, the Dale. Pack layers, walking shoes, sunscreen, and bug repellent. Many of our free events are outdoors, and we have a variety of beautiful natural places to explore. Number seven, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and or Twitter for updates. Number eight, once you're home, let us know how your trip was through our feedback form. Oh, they have the Leolin Hotel, Maplewood Hotel. They look very charming. Guest houses, campgrounds. Hmm. The Hamlet of Lilydale. They've got your Google map here. All right, I said something about the facts. I said something about the facts. I'm, cr- I'm curious. What do people ask them that they felt a need? Okay, there's the gate fee. 24-hour pass, $15 per person. And this is mostly covering fees. Oh, it's all about the gate fee. Everybody just wants to know, why do you have a gate fee? Hmm. Well, because it's a tourist destination. Lilydale mediums are registered with both the Assembly and the Mediums League. Each is tested and vetted to ensure the highest quality mediumship. Mediums are all located on the grounds and each handles their own schedule and pricing. Wondering how to choose? Watch a public demonstration to see mediums in action. Take a look at the medium's own websites linked to below. Ask people you meet or whom you've known to visit Lilydale. Call or visit the medium and ask about their style and approach. Use your intuition to guide you. I was waiting for that. For goodness sake, if it's a spiritualistic medium community, you have to listen to your your instinct. Should I pick one? What do you think, Pinkie Podsters? Should I just pick one here and see what they're about? I got to tell you, as I'm looking here, they are mostly women. So far, I see two guys out of the, 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 oh my goodness. Oh God, this page is, there's a lot. Three guys out of, I don't know, 40. Okay, four guys. I didn't count. Yes, it is definitely mostly women. Let's see what Gretchen Clark's website says. Medium and clairvoyant. Gretchen Clark is an NSAC certified medium and a registered medium at Lilydale, New York, the world's largest center for the religion of spiritualism. See, it's still a religion. She is a fifth generation spiritualist and Gretchen lives in Lilydale, offering hope and comfort to those who have sought her counsel since 1976. Oh, look at that. I picked, I picked a, someone who's been around a long time. Go me. Internationally known as a medium, lecturer, and workshop leader, Gretchen Clark has been heard on radio and seen on television. 
And most recently, she was photographed by Shannon Taggart for Discover the Tiny Town That Sees Ghosts All Year Round. For 15 years, Shannon Taggart has been photographing the home of spiritualism, and Gretchen was featured in HBO's No One Dies in Lilydale, July 2010. Okay, I don't know about you, but now I need to know if I can still watch this. Or did I ever watch it? 2010. No One Dies in Lilydale. Hmm. So it goes on to list several of her accomplishments, and yeah, she's done a lot. A lot of interviews and this and that. She has tour dates and locations, videos. I'm going to click this uh, Discover the Tiny Town that sees ghosts all year round. See, you click the link six hours later, and now we're just doing it live or, well, recorded. Ooh. You should go to this. Discover the Tiny Town. Yeah, if you go to, um, I'm going to go back a second. Go to Gretchen Clark's The Medium website, and on the front page, click on the Discover the Tiny Town that Sees Ghosts All Year Round, and boom, there is a photograph of a woman said to be channeling her doppelganger in a Thursday night seance, Lilydale, New York, 2003, and that's by the photographer Shannon Taggart. Um, And then this will be about her, but they're also talking about the town. I'm not going to read this entire article to you. I'm just going to suggest again that, yeah, follow those links. See where you go. And I apologize if you feel like this episode was a little short and maybe not as interesting as the others. But as I already said, I felt like I've already mentioned so many Houdini, Doyle, uh, a lot of things surrounding spiritualism that... It was just time maybe to give that little bit of background. It wasn't intended as a really deep dive. And I like the idea of making, maybe taking separate things because I'm guessing, hoping that tarot cards, mamluk cards, I'm starting a campaign, <laughs> take back the name, um, will hopefully be enough for their own episodes. Therefore, you know, if there's any of this that I brought up or anything so far, that you would like me to go more into if you want me to research more about Lily Dale, etc. Hey, drop me a line, a comment, a suggestion. Join my Patreon for as little as $1 a month, you know, and let me know. You'll get a private community. You'll be able to private message me and you might get some extra bonus content. You know, there's different tiers, uh, but you can also just comment wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Listening Notes, Player FM, and Google Podcasts. You can leave me a call. Oh, Podbean. I can't remember where I host them from. That's where my original RSS feed is. Leave me a comment, guys. I'm totally open to it. I did the Houdini episode because someone asked me to. You know, they left me a review and they asked me. So I am down with that. Let me know. Let me know if you want me to get more into this. In the meantime, I hope you stay safe and well out there in this still uncertain times of COVID. I hope that you will visit me on pinkyswearpress.com, my Twitter, PinkyPod, Instagram, 
pinky underscore pod underscore cast. Pinky swear pass on the evil Facebooks. And a lot of these links and information are in episode notes if you forget and you do want to find me. I, I, you can also Google S. Reut or Sherry Reut. I, I am published, so these things do pop up. You can also just Google Pinkie Pod. And there we have it. Thank you for joining me. And I hope to uh, hear from you. Thanks for listening. This week's episode of the Pinkie Pod is in the archives. P-p-p-pow! Oh, wait! I also have merchandise. I have the P-p-p-pow as stickers and shirts. I have our lovely Pinky Fatal logo, if you're interested. And this time I remember, it's T Public, Pinky Swear Press. Okay, and now I'm truly finished. Pa-pa-pa-pow!